0: Up everybody, my name is James D. Fiore, and this is Blackball. Well, sometimes um, you have a guest just sort of land in your lap, and that's what happened to me a few hours ago. But I had to ask him to come on because his story is so compelling. He is a Canadian Ukrainian, I believe, he's a dual citizen, but he he might have to correct me on that. And his bio is so eclectic that I don't even I don't even know where to begin. He's an IT guy. He's a technology guy. He said he got tired of the corporate world, and then a couple of years ago, I think it was during the pandemic, he st- he started doing um, work with a company called Endema. But what happened when the war in Ukraine broke out is he started finding ways to get equipment to the Ukrainian people and to the Ukrainian military. Um, and he was also a contestant on The Voice in Ukraine which is one of the most amazing sidebar facts that I can ever imagine. But there is so many twists to what he told me today, and I don't want to mess it up because, as I said, I did just get to know him. But I'm going to, you know what, I'll save it for him because I don't want to mess it up because the thing with the drone, you guys are not going to believe what he told me about drones. This is like one of the greatest stories ever, and it involves 3D printers. So without further ado, I would like to welcome to the show Alex Paziak. Is that right? That's right. I did it. Yeah. I thank, did the, the pronunciation you, correctly. Thank you. <laughs> Alex, so um, we met through a mutual friend who made me promise not to name him, so we won't, but um, he okay. was kind enough to give me your number. And I called you today. And what you told me in that phone call was so impressive to me. Um, I should say also, I, I'm going to say this at the end of the, of the show, that you are speaking at this event. It's called the Frontline Narratives. See the war in Ukraine through the eyes of the front line. And you are a guest speaker along with James Chalice, who was a Canadian soldier serving in Ukraine against Russia from March to September 2022. Is that correct? That's correct. That's where I met James. Yeah. Okay. So... I don't know where you want to start with this because there are so many little twists and turns, but let's let's start with your story. Um, you're from Toronto, I believe, right? And are you born right. in Ukraine or do you have family there? Are you a dual citizen? How does that work?
1: Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a Canadian. I'm born in Canada to uh, Ukrainian parents uh, that came over uh, after World War II. So part of the Ukrainian diaspora here. Um, any sort of uh, person that's part of the Ukrainian diaspora, your, your parents, well, not only your first language is Ukrainian, as mine was at home before I went to school, uh, but then you continue with uh, Ukrainian studies, night school uh, we all had to attend that. Of course, Ukrainian dancing is a major piece of you being a you know good Ukrainian in, in the diaspora, uh, going to church and so forth. So uh, I grew up as many other Ukrainians uh, to parents uh, after World War II uh, here in Canada. Um, yeah, you know, I w- I always had fun at the Ukrainian Pavilion during, I can't remember what
0: festival it was, but Oshawa used to have this festival. And it was like, uh, you know, you go to the Italian Pavilion or the Ukrainian, P- what was that called? Do you remember that?
1: yeah f- fiesta
0: week fiesta week that's right Week. and the week, ukrainian yeah. pavilion was the greatest pavilion i remember growing up it was just i don't know uh, if it was that like a uh, a ukrainian social club or whatever it was but in oshawa i think it was on simcoe street and yeah. everyone would make sure are we going to the ukrainian did we go yet do you want to go back like it was always like the it was the most festive the food was great and the dancing and the dresses and everything like it was all very yeah. culturally exquisite yeah. i thought mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. Now, so you you then you started working in IT, and let's let's fast forward to I guess twenty fourteen. Okay, and twenty fourteen uh, was when um, Russia decided to annex Crimea,
1: right? Yeah, I'll take a step just prior to that, right? Which sure, is, go ahead. Is a significant event, which was the Maidan, right? It's it's sort of what caused that momentum. Uh, for uh, Ukrainians in, in Ukraine to demonstrate against uh, their president at the time, Yanukovych, uh, which basically uh, did an about-face uh, where he was supposed to sort of get closer to the West, sign agreements and so forth, and he overnight sort of switched uh, back to sort of Putin and Russia. Uh, he's yet another puppet, right, of, of Putin's. And uh, that started the Maidan revolution, right? So we could have a whole topic, you know, hours on what happened there or what occurred there. Um, but soon after, uh, where Yankovych fled uh, to Russia, of course, he's there today, um, uh, Putin decided, hey, great time, right, to uh, come into uh, uh, Crimea annex Crimea and start a war on uh, Ukraine's eastern border in the uh, in the Donbass you know area
0: why is the Donbass area so controversial like you know Canada has some Nazis um, America has some Nazis. all these freedom-loving countries have their contingent of bad seeds why was it uh, propagandized so heavily I mean I guess I can answer that question but what element were they taking and and uh, Russia and their propaganda machine, and creating this international, almost like international rumor? that uh that that all oh, this this province donbass is run by nazis and this and that had like what were they playing off of because i know that there is like the smallest morsel of truth to that and then they just made it seem like the entire province was just crawling with nazis with guns right
1: yeah it was it wasn't so i'm, I'm gonna correct you a little bit sure um, please the that's not why they sort of went into the Donbass. Uh, basically, it was it's on the border of Russia. Uh, and I'm not an expert on the sort of beginnings of that war. I know quite a few people that are. Um, the, the key to all of this is, and you've brought up sort of two areas, right? It's mm-hmm. Russia's uh, propaganda. They're very good at that, right? Uh, the big propaganda that, uh, well, the premise is that's why they started the war. They were all Nazis, right? Yeah. Uh, I guess I'm an extension of a Nazi living in Canada now right so uh, you think that's bad I look like a Nazi like, it's <laughs> awful together we make a good pair I guess yeah, yeah um so you know so there there's that piece through their rt television through their propaganda uh, they've done a a, a stellar job in, in conveying a particular narrative right um, and the other piece is that, look at all these Russian speakers. Uh, If you're a Russian speaker, which primarily there are many in that area of the Eastern Ukraine and South. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, we could get into a big historical discussion on why Uh, the premise on whatever you want to talk about. I mean, like we're not just like, you know, like we
0: can, I I know that. Yeah. We don't want to sidetrack it, I guess in, in a way, but I rely on people to educate me on this subject because as much as I want to say that I'm informed. And I think a lot of like people in Canada feel this way. I I want to feel informed. I I want to read things, but you know, the, the, the Russian propaganda, when, when people tell me that Glenn Greenwald is a Russian asset, I'm like, maybe he just has an opinion that happens to align a little bit with Russia. Like I, I, I'm not very quick to just buy that. Like Chris hedges and Glenn Greenwald are these Russian assets. Right. But Mm -hmm. you know, um, is it a difficult, uh, these are difficult waters to navigate if you're looking for the truth, I guess is what I'm saying.
1: Yeah. You know what? The, the truth is there uh, and, and the issue, just to continue, right? So there's the whole Nazi narrative. And then the other narrative that they've, that they've presented is that look at all these Russian speaking uh, citizens inside of Ukraine. Uh, they'll say the same thing about Latvia. There's a lot of Russian speakers and Russians in Latvia, Moldova, right? Um, so that was the other premise, right? It's like we're going in to protect, Right. Russians, right? Now, there are many, many Russian-speaking Ukrainians that are Mm -hmm. fighting against Russia, right? So that doesn't hold water either. Now, there's a whole historical context to why there's so many Russian speakers and even sort of, you know, uh, native Russians in those parts of Ukraine And that's because when Stalin came in, you know, his tactic is, well, A, let's starve them out, right? So there's the whole demoral, which you may have heard of, 6 million Ukrainians died. Um, There's the history of Crimea, where he basically took Crimean Tatars and millions, moved them out to Siberia, right? Russians are very good in going into populations and just moving them out and moving their own in right um and that's that's primarily the setup to sort of the war right and 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 that that narrative that uh look at all the russian speakers uh they must be pro-russian right and there's another little interesting kind of slant uh slant on this and of course Ukrainians are all nazis right um what was very interesting and that's why i I sent you that video clip i'm going to use it on the uh uh, on Friday, right. Where it sort of introduces you to the, to the war in Ukraine on February 24th. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, his idea, I guess his own propaganda was that soon as he crosses that border with all these tanks, all these Ukrainians, I guess a lot of Russian speaking Ukrainians are going to just sort of greet them with bread and salt. And, you know, they're going to yeah. basically greet them as saviors. Now, I, I true, truly believe everything that I've read uh, and, and listened to that they they sort of believed in their own bullshit propaganda, that that true. was going to happen, right? And that's why they rolled in thinking there was going to be not a lot of resistance. They're going to take Kiev in like, I don't know, four or five days. But even, you know, this is the, this is the, the remarkable thing, right? There's these moments in history. And this is one of them, right? This is... A notable moment in history just like 9 11 was we can go back in time but this is one of those moments right where you know the the russian army the second strongest on the planet right you know comes in and poor ukraine is going to give up in four or five days the west believed it right you know from what i've read and what i've seen um ukraine wasn't given um you know artillery realistically like HIMARS right everyone loves their HIMARS now right uh they were given javelins and Nemlaws. and so those types of weapons are primarily used um for a sort of um you know kind of like street fighting um partisan type of war right so the west truly thought Russia was going to come in they were going to take over Kiev they're going to take over Ukraine didn't know exactly how much of Ukraine but Ukrainians were already armed with N laws and javelins and they were going to sort of, you know, cause this partisan war. Right. Um, That didn't happen. We shocked the world. Like it just, it's an amazing story. What happened. Right. Um, I
0: I had uh, John Spencer on the show who I mentioned to you today. He's an urban warfare expert. Excuse me. He's a member of the American military. He's uh, he's seen three or four tours. I think he wrote a handbook that the Ukrainian military uses to train their civilian force. Anyways, he told me the other day the exact same thing that you just said, which is that up until they went in uh, on February 24th of this year, they, experts at the Pentagon, thought that Russia had a formidable military. military. Yeah. They, they thought that they had more equipment. They thought they had more troops. They thought that they had troops that were you know, that could handle themselves better than what these Russians appear to appear to be able to handle themselves. And what he said was that the, the will of the civilian people to just not allow their country or their provinces to be occupied or, at least, you know, at least as, as much as they could was such a surprise to not just Russia, but to the West, like you said, to the that West. really it's a story. I just got goosebumps because I'm thinking about, you know, what it must be like to, to live inside your home country and defend it and, and volunteer for the military. And, you know, and it seemed like, like I know there were, there was a war measures act sort of thing enacted in February mm-hmm. and they didn't have to conscript because everyone just kind of volunteered.
1: Yes. Yeah. What, what happened was, um, yes, they, they were basically handing out weapons to civilians, uh, Whoever wanted to show up, uh, they were given a uh, a gun and ammunition, and they organized themselves into sort of they call themselves territorial defense units. Mm-hmm. Um, many of these people, um, you know, I've been in Ukraine two years, so uh, some of them i've uh, i've I've lost friends, right? People that I knew that uh, we had fun with, uh, we went to the beach. Um, and these were, these were veterans. These were people that had fought before, uh, They, they had, you know, since 2014. And when this, uh, when this happened, there was no question. It was like, let me think about it. Maybe, no, all the veterans just engaged. People engage. It's like just a remarkable story. Many of them, the whole tank battles that were coming down from Belarus, right? um a lot of people lost their lives right they went they went at these tanks themselves right knowing they've got to protect their country we have
0: no idea in north america what what that is like no we we don't we don't and i
1: don't ever want to either but i mean i think you know we're like james it's it's like a it's like a seriously it's like a it's like a hollywood movie that's the only thing i can sort of point to right Hmm. the beginning of the war right russia they've got a you know it, it's i'm not a war expert but i i i know a little bit about sort of tactics and how they do this right you got to capture airports right yeah. um so well, i saw that in that video of, that you sent. yeah that was, one of uh, the biggest like one of the biggest airports it's a military airport north of kiev Hostomel, right uh, there's a, a the city of Hostomel too right um so their plan was attack helicopters 20 of them were sent in with troops right uh some of them landed right? Ukraine sort of, you know, engaged in battle at the airport. But the key was that they had something like 18 transport, military transport planes hovering, I guess, I don't know if that's the word hovering, but basically circ- circling around in Belarus for the helicopters and the, sp- it's all special forces. Like this was the best of the best that Russia yeah. had, the pride of Russia, right? To come in, take the airport, and then fly those 18 planes down into that airport and, and just start the process of taking over all of Kiev, right? So we took down two of those airports, right? Zelensky and, and the generals basically said, thou shall not let those things land. So they, they attempted to land the first two. We knocked those down. Right. Hmm. That's why, you know, the military personnel, there was paratroopers that were being dropped. You were shooting them out of the sky. It's it's unbelievable. Like when I watch that movie, uh, the, the, the film, the documentary, uh, much of that. Look, I was busy at the time sort of doing stuff for the army and, and, and bringing over vehicles. At the end of the day, I, I, I saw some of it, but I didn't dwell on it. Right. Uh, but even I just saw that piece like two weeks ago and it was just amazing to see what was going on, right? Uh, yeah everybody was engaged. there was a process. Uh, everyone clicked in um, the other the other piece was which was fascinating. there's another stat that there was on Google Maps they could see that it was like it was something like 60 kilometers worth of tanks coming wow. down from Belarus and another 12 kilometers, uh, on the Kharkiv side, right, um, and basically, yeah, we looked at that, and the boys engaged. I'm I'm extremely proud. One of the uh, one of the messages in that um, in that video is uh, "ero rozvitka which translates into "air reconnaissance group," right? Bunch of IT guys, right? Uh, basically, engaged. These are the guys that are, are are they work with drones, right? From the beginning of the Maidan. Right. Yeah. They engaged the enemy. They, they, they yeah. found a spot where they could sort of narrow them all down into a road and jam them up. Right. And they used all of their skills and methods of drone warfare to start the process, to start slowing them down. And then, of course, you know, other Ukrainians with now their their handheld MLAs laws and and, uh, and weapons uh, were mm-hmm. able to start taking out those tanks. And you can you can see that video, you know, all, all those videos clearly online.
0: Uh, can you tell me what you've been doing in Ukraine for the last two years, and then what, how that sort of switched a little bit or a lot actually uh, once the war started?
1: Yeah, sure. So you you alluded to yeah, I, I sort of uh, had enough of the of the corporate world, um, and I, I wanted to sort of uh, the premise initially was to live in Europe. Obviously Ukrainian background. Uh, I have a brother also that uh, that lives in Ukraine, um, and then of course there's a lot of things that were hap- happening in parallel. Um, when I was still working for the previous company, uh, in Canada, uh, the Endema guys actually reached out to me while they were here. And so we had sort of a, a loose connection there. Uh, there was the, uh, you know, the, the, the voice performance, right? Uh, so there's a lot of stuff sometimes in your life. There's just, there's all these kind of, you know, things that are moving forward. And at some point there's this intersection point, right? Um, so I moved over there. Uh, and basically, I've uh, been there for, for two years, right? Uh, started working for Endima as their VP of sales, right? Great company, right? Um, and then uh, basically, my, my partner, uh, Natalia Priluzka, Uh she has an uh, amazing woman. Uh, she's been helping the war effort uh, since 2014. Uh, she was a restaurateur, uh, sold her businesses, and basically focused her effort on helping the men uh, and women of the Ukraine armed forces. Right. Um, one thing I've got to make a note of, right. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I, you know, when, when, when someone uses the word volunteer, right in Canada, what that meant was, Hey, John's, you know, kind of great guy, family guy, you know, on Thanksgiving, he goes and works at the soup kitchen, right. To help out. And that's great. Right. I, I actually never did that. I was a soccer coach and a trainer and all that kind of stuff. I guess, the premise is that I was a volunteer volunteering over in Ukraine. And I'm going to jump around a little bit. Right. Um, the fall of the Soviet union, right. And, you know, basically they were in shambles, right. And Ukraine was part of that. Right. Um, once they started to get up on their feet in the early nineties, um, Ukraine didn't really have much of an army. And the, the and the thought was, well, if someone attacks us, right. Um, well, Russia will kind of protect us. They're sort of friendly with us. We'll we'll sort of kind of go with that, right? And that was early on, right? Um, So the the war breaks out, again, 2014, I'm I'm referencing, right? Mm -hmm. Um, The men are basically leaving the Maidan revolution and going right to the front. And they're all organizing themselves, right? Now, this is important. I'm going to bring in another theme here because there's many guys, Canadians, Brits, they come across. And one of the things they always ask me is, tell me about this Azov battalion, these Nazis, or or what we hear about these guys, right? <laughs> What's that all about, right? Well, what you've got to understand is, right, the war breaks out in the east, right? Russia takes over Crimea. These Ukrainian men right? Um, Non-military people, because the military was in shambles. They basically armed themselves, went to the East to protect their country, right? Mm. And they had nothing, like they didn't have uniforms, they didn't have weaponry, like it was brutal. It's the volunteers, right? That helped that entire process. As in, you know, we need, we need uniforms, we need, you know, Guns, we need ammunition, we need generators, whatever it was. It was a ragtag bunch of men that were haphazardly organizing themselves into groups. One of the groups was Azov. There are many, right? But Mm -hmm. they're groups that it's like you and I and our friends get together and we're going to go fight a foe, you know. Um, at at some point, you've got to organize yourselves. At some point, sure, there may be some bad eggs in your group, right? But so what happened was these battalions were formed. They're all volunteer battalion groups, right? Fighting against the Russians, the army finally got the process together and on their feet. So by about 2016, what they were doing is uh, they were bringing in these volunteer groups. Under the army, they're folding them under the army, oh, okay. cleaning things up, you know, kind of putting it all back together. And at that point, you know, uh, from what I'm hearing, you know, the West was helping and so forth, right? But that's an important process, right? If you think of the Canadian Army or the U.S. Army, it's not that kind of history, right? Of, of how reminds- this army was full. Uh, when you together.
0: when you were talking about it, it, it and, and I'm not talking about in a religious or an ideological sense, but it reminded me of the Mujahideen. Uh, when russia was occupying afghanistan when you said ragtag soldiers without uniforms and things like that right and, yeah, and the interesting yeah. thing is there, there is a parallel there because um you know this is a proxy war whether we want to admit it or not this is a proxy war between um the west who are supplying equipment and weapons and money um mm-hmm. and russia uh, i don't have a problem with that um but it, it um it, it makes me think of the NATO membership and and whether or not that that would be uh, an albatross or not for, for Ukraine to eventually become a member. Um, it'd be good for them, but would it be good for the West, you think?
1: Well, you know, there, there's a joke going on in Ukraine. It's like, you know, we're waiting to be introduced or, or brought into NATO. Maybe Ukraine should be waiting for NATO to come into sort of Ukrainian sphere, right? Yeah. Something along those lines, right? Yeah. Um. Yeah, you know, that's look flat out. Basically, what you're saying is, did we tempt Russia? Did we provoke Russia by going down the path of potentially wanting to join NATO? Right. I'm um, actually not saying that, but but no? I, I have thought th- I have thought that and wondered if
0: if if NATO's uh, insistence on building bases closer and closer to Russia, like I'm just trying to look at it from an, uh, a pragmatist sort of standpoint like uh, you know I, I I believe that Russia is the bad actor in this uh but you know I I know that the West is not always innocent of pr- provocation you know so sure. I'm just trying to you know it, it's it's one of those things where uh you know and I talked to John Spencer about this as well and uh, the difference between Russia putting nukes in Cuba is that United States is basically surrounded by water with the exception of Canada and Mexico but you know there's only one reason to put nukes in Cuba there might be various reasons to put nato bases in sovereign countries so they have an argument that's better you know so and and i thought that uh, maybe putin was just emboldened by um, by annexing crimea
1: with little to no resistance of course all, hmm. all of those factors have a play in there the, the you know the, the the major factor is if you go back and sort of listen to putin over the years uh, the propaganda within his country and how he's stirring his citizens up, right? I've had this discussion with many people. Um, you know, there's few Germans you're going to talk to or speak with, and they're going to glorify Hitler or say, hey, there should be a statue erected to Hitler. You ain't going to hear that, right? No. You know, after World War II, you know, the German population was was educated on the atrocities of Nazi Germany, mm-hmm. right? That didn't happen in Russia. Like, if you really think about that, right? right? We all moved on from World War II, yet to this day, they're still glorifying Stalin. Yeah. How many millions of people he murdered, not only Ukrainians, right? So, what does Gulag mean to the
0: Russian people? Like, summer camp? Like, what?
1: You know what? It's exactly like, what? Like, do you know how many people suffered? My own personal family history. It just goes on and on. But, if you just think about that for a moment, right? Like, it's not like a Russian's gonna, and I'm, I'm stereotyping, but there's a, a, you can look at statistics, very high percentage of Russians will, if not glorify Putin, they're not, or sorry, uh, well, that too, but uh, Stalin, they ain't gonna say anything really bad about him. Right? You know, so have that discussion with a Russian friend one time what, what they think of all that right but to this day that's why don't I don't have any think, Russian friends anymore Well, there you go yeah. right? you <laughs> mean, I, myself no I've there, had Russian but,
0: friends and and there is a there's a sort of uh, there's certain
1: things they don't want to talk about right bad. and and okay that's fine that that's their that's their right right but but again back to that point right it's not like they educated the Russian you know uh, population and say guys let's take a really close look at what Stalin really did. Right. yeah, That didn't happen. And so there was this momentum that just kept on moving forward. You know, I, I could I could share with you all sorts of crazy propaganda. The craziest one. Great story. Right. Oh, um, there, there's this propaganda up. that there's a uh, bio labs in Ukraine that were uh, basically yes. funded by the U.S. government. Have you heard this? I have. Yes. OK, but that's not the funny part. Right. The funny part is they were showcasing which probably they still do today. And again, just fathom this being done in Canada, or the United States—it's crazy, right? So the the commercial is that Ukraine has got these bio labs, and basically they're breeding these cyborg geese. And these cyborg geese, right? I, I'll send it to you after our call. These cyborg geese are basically taking down their planes. There's a commercial on this. Like, I know it's laughable. I, I couldn't believe it, but then you think yourself, no, but they don't even call him cyborg. It's even better than that. Is they it call zombie? Them, Please let it be no, zombie. No, they call him Banderivsky fascist. No, they call them like Banderite fascist geese, Biolab geese.
0: Fascist like, geese.
1: We have fascist they, geese in Canada, and they
0: populate the lakeshore in Toronto, and they're, they're pretty bad, but they can can't.
1: be. But just, wow. when you when you truly look at like the, the TV footage and the propaganda, it's just it's a zoo in that place. Like it really is what what they've done to their own population. Right. So, yeah. you know, and, you know, some experts that I've I've listened to, uh, every, everyone's sort of, um, you know, saying, hey, we're a, we're all at fault in the sense that we've created Putin because, you know, in the 90s, when they got on their feed. Right. You know, the West is, you know, they're like, okay, you guys want to, you know, recreate sort of Russia and create a democracy. We'd like you to do that, right? Uh, what I'm getting to is uh, the money, the money of their oligarchs and their rich and Putin. Like, you know, there is a bunch of programs I listen to, like, how much real estate do they own in the West, right? How many lawyers do they have in their pocket? How many realtors work for these, you know, rich Russians that are buying up all sorts of soccer teams and who knows what? Right. Yeah. So we sort of didn't monitor it properly. Right.
0: Hi, I'm Steve Yerko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast for kids flashback. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows, and I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. Yeah, and uh, you know, and again, it's hard to tell a fact from fiction sometimes, but uh, there are geopolitical experts that claim that vladimir putin is the richest man in world history because all the oligarchs money are really just you know uh caches of putin cash that they're just holding on to right right Right. i don't know if that's true or not those are the kind of things that like because i know that this if russia is the you know the the one of the best countries uh on earth as far as propaganda goes i'm hard pressed not to like make an argument even though it has nothing to do with this war, technically, but the United States is pretty good at it too. <laughs> Let's just be honest. Like, yeah, I, I didn't you want know. to
1: bring up Tucker Carlson, but uh, you know,
0: <laughs> yeah. Any any a guy started his career
1: with a bow tie, you got to watch out for those ones. You got yeah, to. I know they're they're serious dudes. Yeah, you're right. But he was you're a better right. guy when he had a bow tie, which is weird. He he was he was a nice guy, and yeah. now he's turned into I don't know some sort of pro Putin propagandist. So, um, but um, yeah. I, I, so I was yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, no. I, I was just gonna sort of—I didn't really just kind of finish the the thought of the the battalions, uh, but some good, you know, good insight from from sort of what, what you know how you sort of saw what what I was talking about. Um, but yeah, the the volunteer effort in Ukraine um, was an amazing thing to get all these battalions up and running to to get them sort of situated, whatever their needs were. So then, when the war started. You know, twenty. You know, the second phase, right? Uh, February twenty fourth, right? I don't know how to explain it. Ukraine already had their 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 uh, network uh, of volunteers, and it just basically they just kicked it up a notch, right? So right. I, I'm proud to say that uh, my partner Natalia, right, like I mentioned, she's been helping out the war effort from the beginning. So just to continue the story, uh, we're in Lviv. Um, I basically in Dimas in Lviv, um, we reside in, um, in Kiev, right? Um, so there was a, there's a speech by Putin a couple of days before, and I just saw the in the eyes, just, there's something kind of crazy in there. Right. And I said, you know what? I go to Lviv once a month. Why don't we hightail it out of here and kind of go to Lviv for a little bit. Right. Yeah. So two days later, the war breaks out. Um, and we had a decision to make, uh, we could have, um, we could have crossed the border, uh, and sort of, you know, carried on, uh, Natalia's phone was just ringing off the hook. These are prior people. She's, uh, you know, helped battalions, groups of men, right. Women, uh, medics, um, for help, right. The, the network of volunteers just got sort of re-established right and we looked at each other and we said um let's do this let's let's uh let's put our heads together uh you know you know what you know and and what you're good at and i know what i'm good at i still didn't know what the hell i was going to do but okay let's (laughs) let's sort of piece this thing together right and um so you know we had to decide on what it is that we're going to do right because you know there's only so much you can bite off right and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's, there's myself, her, and there's kind of, you know, this, this, this loose grouping of other people that she were, you know, that work part of her team. Right. Um, so we basically decided, uh, and primarily it was because of all the phone calls is, uh, vehicles were greatly needed. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically, um, uh, drones, so vehicles, drones, and thermal vision night systems were needed. Right. Um, medical supplies. Yes. There were sort of other, uh, groups that sort of focused on that. So we, we started, we, we had a, um, I don't know if it was a zoom call. Uh, we gathered a bunch of people globally, friends of mine, friends of hers and said, look, this is what we're going to focus on. Obviously we need funds. We need money. Uh, let's, let's all do this. Right. And this was like, again, maybe two, three days in. Right. Um, so we started and, um, you know, for me, I want to personally thank all, all my friends. Uh, it, it just, it, it, I'll get, I'm going to get choked up in a second here, but um, this is high school friends of mine, right? Uh, these are people I've known for a very long time. These are uh, people I've worked with, right? Um, these are people that basically picked up the phone and called me and said, um, you're doing the right thing. I trust you, right? Um, you don't hear a lot of that from people anymore, right? No, um, you know, they basically said, We trust you, Feziak, and we're going to send you money, and we know that you're going to do the right thing with it. And that wow. to me was just like, Whoa, I go, That's that's right. Wow. Um, people gave $50, people gave $15,000, right? And they were, you know, wiring the money to my account, right? Um, we were grabbing the funds. Um, I I use the system, uh, I'm going to put a plug in for them, I guess, right? Uh, Wise, Uh, Wise it's called, right? Mm -hmm. And an amazing app. Um, I I, I found it because it basically gives you the best exchange rates, right? But basically what you can do is you could create these free buckets of different currency, um british pounds uh u.s dollars Canadians, Lotte, francs whatever and then you can pull funds into that bucket once it's in that bucket you can basically then exchange it to any denomination or any currency you want right so it worked out really well because globally people were sending us money and they were like well do you want it in euros or u.s dollars or i go Mm -hmm just send it. I don't care where it falls. It'll fall into the bucket. And then once it was in there, you know, say I, someone sent me a donation from, from, uh, the UK, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, they send me the donation. My daughter lives in the UK. So she's like, Dad, we're doing this. Yeah, let's let's go for it, right? So another story I'll tell you in a second. Yeah. Um, so she went and bought some drones, and I was able to take the pounds I had in the account, didn't even have to exchange it, and I wired it to her bank account. So it was a lot of this back and forth, but it, it was a beautiful system. So if we happen to have somebody in Spain or in in Poland or Germany. I just did the exchange quick, wired it, they got the money like within a day and they went and purchased either drones, thermal vision systems, vehicles. And so we created this this really efficient and effective system, right? Um, The other thing is you need a logistics path, right? So you bring a vehicle, you gotta go buy the vehicle, you gotta pay for the vehicle, you gotta get someone to initially find the vehicle. Mm -hmm. Bring the vehicle, right? Um, So we actually, um, through a friend of a friend, uh, there's a a grocery store chain that's uh, basically they're headquartered, uh, oddly enough, in Peramish, Poland, which is right on the border in Poland. And uh, the um, grocery chain uh, store is called uh, Piotr's Pan. That's in Polish. It translates into Peter Pan. So it's Peter Pan grocery chain. Right. right. And the way they helped us out was they, they've got warehousing. Right. So initially, when people were shipping over stuff, and people initially, you know, you know, there's something warm and fuzzy about, you know, you're in New Jersey and, you know, you find out your cousin's, you know, oh. gonna fight and you wanna send them a drone. Right. Um, so, you know, they get a hold of it me. Sounds, it's like, hey, sorry,
0: cousin, it sounds funny because, first of all, there's almost nothing warm and fuzzy about New Jersey. <laughs> but, I've been there. Some of the restaurants are good, but yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 Don't get me started either. There's a whole backstory to New Jersey with me, but anyway. Um, But yeah, it was like, you know, people, you know, goodness goodness of their heart, they're collecting, they want to send a drone. And I'm telling them, I'm going, look, we're buying like 30, 50, 60 drones. I'm like, just send me the money. I'll buy the drone and I'll, I'll give it to your cousin. There's no problem. Right? Mm-hmm. No, I want to send it. You know, three weeks later, duty yeah. problems or whatever. But anyway, so we had we had those folks uh, helping us. They they still have helped us today. Like if if you want to ship a single drone to us, or if you want to ship uh, twenty skids of canned goods, I'll give you an address. We'll ship it. They'll hold on to it. We'll bring it across the border uh, for vehicles. Uh, We've got another group of people, Ukrainians, that basically you've got, it's it's almost, it sits on the border. It's just basically like a holding yard that's gated. And we've, I don't know how many times we have brought vehicles in there um, because, you know, everything doesn't flow perfectly, right? So we bring in vehicles, we leave them there, give these guys the keys. Two, three days later, either we or somebody else starts a vehicle, brings it across. Mm -hmm. Um, So bringing vehicles across really interesting story right so war starts and um okay we we just kind of we're going for it right so we um as i mentioned uh you know we've we've got funding and we need to buy vehicles drones uh thermal vision systems and so forth right so we bought our first vehicle it was a green uh ford ranger never forget it pickup truck and uh, we've got it. Uh, we brought it to Medica. Uh, Medica is is that that sort of holding pen right on the Polish side of the border. So uh, there was this one evening where uh, we bought up a bunch of drones. We, we've purchased um, uh, thermal vision systems. Um, there's other Ukrainian volunteers. Again, very tight network. Right. They know that we're on the Polish side. And that uh, we're coming across. Right. And there's a need and we got to get it done quickly. Right. So they're like, you know, they call up uh, Natalka and they're like, hey, we've got some some drones. We've got some night vision systems. Can you bring it over for us? And we're like, absolutely. Right. So we actually um, we brought over um, with all the drones. I think I, I, I tallied it up one one night. Uh, all the drones and thermal vision systems, because some of these things are like, you know, $4,000 a pop, right? Mm -hmm. Um, We brought over probably about $150,000 worth of stuff in that pickup truck the the first time, right? Um, You know, I I kind of reflect on, you know, myself crossing the U.S.-Canadian border. (laughs) It's kind of like, that would be a little difficult, right? Um, At the time, um, it was basically, you pull up, Right. I flash my passport. What are you doing? Where are you going? What do you got? I've got stuff. I get humanitarian aid. Right. Um, okay. Not a problem. Go right through. Right. Uh, they took a little peek. Okay. It's good. Right. It's we're going on, they know what's going on. Right. Um, where did you put the weight help? Just out of curiosity. I, I took care of that in Poland. Yeah. So <laughs> thank you, Poland. Yeah. There's a lot of stress. So you gotta, you yeah. gotta kind of, you know, lay it That's down. Right. Um, uh, <laughs> We uh, we go off 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 topic, but that's okay. Um, So this is the funny part of the story, right? Mm -hmm. It's actually it's not too funny. But um, the way you bring a a vehicle across today, because we've gotten good at it is you can purchase a vehicle, uh, you bring it to the border. Uh, it's a little different border crossings, uh, in, in, between Poland and Ukraine, you've got to go through the Polish customs first and passport control, and then you go through the Ukrainian, uh, border crossing, right? So, uh, basically, you know, you got to show that, uh, you know, you've acquired the doc, uh, the, the vehicle it's in your name. Uh, usually it's not even that, you know, I've gone to a, a registry office that they've kind of given me something you know like in in canada it's just a document of sale it's like here i've right. purchased this thing it's in my no. name okay great you're good to go right on the ukrainian side um you know you know i think there's probably something similar in canada I've, I've never brought a vehicle over from the united states right but the rule is um you can bring a vehicle across right um as as a, as a foreigner i can bring my vehicle across any vehicle across ukrainians put it in their database right and then you've got basically a year to drive that vehicle inside of Ukraine on whatever plates could be Canadian plates. Right. And then you've got to get out of there. You got a year. If you don't, you get a nice fine. Okay. okay. You get a heavy fine hit. Right. So war breaks out, run really fast. Right. Um, this concept. Oh, sorry. I didn't explain that. So what you've got to do is to bring it across legitimately. So that doesn't happen is you've got to take the vehicle that's in your name and you're basically like donating it to the army. Okay. Oh, okay. And the way that's done is you've got to get a, a, a an official letter from a battalion signed by a, a higher up that like it's, it's legit. It's basically on letterhead Ukrainian army. This is the, the VIN number of the vehicle This is the date. And basically, you hand it off to them. So basically, it doesn't go into the database as your vehicle. And that's it. And you deliver the vehicle. Well, there's a whole thing to delivering it, right? Right. So let me go back to my story with the green pickup truck, right? Um, We're moving really fast. And actually, there wasn't really a process with regards to these official military letters. So I basically, on my Canadian passport, I assigned the vehicle to me in the database, okay? So we deliver the vehicle, like I'm not questioning stuff. We deliver the vehicle. And, um, so this is now what, six months into the war, I just brought the vehicle back. So the reason, the reason is, is the boys had it and there's amazing pictures and what they were doing with it. Like they, they sent us pictures initially, which we didn't publish. Right. Yeah. Um, which basically they put a uh, machine gun torrent on the back of the pickup truck. Oh, they sure. put a trailer with a larger machine gun system. Right. I don't know if that's yeah. what it's called. Right. Yeah. Um, there There is pictures of basically um, uh, bombs that they were bringing from, from point A to B. Right. So this thing's being used, right. It's also being used to evac wounded soldiers. Right. Um, so once we kind of, found all this stuff out we pleaded with these guys if they could actually bring it back because the process is bring it back across the border get right. the legitimate letter and then release it
0: right right okay
1: um so it was on my canadian passport the second yeah. vehicle is a bit of a catch it's sitting in a forest completely destroyed oh shit yeah so but it was donated yeah, so- yeah. well it's donated but officially i'm supposed to drive that thing back out right because there was a letter and just to just to add to it that was on my uh polish passport so basically i'm a Uh. i'm a dual citizen that way right wow you're like an
0: international man of mystery now in a way right (laughs) or at least a a car salesman of mystery (laughs) yeah Yeah.
1: in that industry right but yeah so so we we've got the whole process down packed with regards to um Uh, bringing vehicles across. And then once they, they come across uh, either uh, people from the military will meet us in Lviv or we'll drive it to Kiev and we'll meet, meet these folks there. Uh, We document everything. We take pictures, we do video um, you know, for our donors to see where this is going. Once it's received at the, at the front, uh, a lot of men, like there's, there's situations where we've delivered the vehicles and, and guys are in tears. They're, they're really, they're like, you know, these people care, right? Uh, these, these things save lives, right? Yeah. I want to get back to that for just for a moment, because um,
0: I talked to uh, Peter Tatchell today he's from the UK. He's probably the most famous gay activist in world history. Seriously. He's been doing it for 50 years. Okay. Uh, and, and he, he funny, cause he's 70 and he looks like he's like 40. Um, but you know, but what I was talking to him about today and, and, and you kind of reminded me of that is that, Sometimes we find ourselves in these places where we feel joy uh, it, it, by being selfless and helping people in a certain situation, even though we wish we didn't have to. And that duality, I'm wondering if that is a, a like, you know, if you've experienced that and if um, and if it's, it's just enough for your high school chums, because, uh, you know, I got goosebumps when you said that to me, because, you know, I, I can imagine um, just the emotion that's involved and then having to be practical and pragmatic while you're feeling emotional. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, and, ha- and is that, is that a challenge
1: or is that a fuel? Yeah, that's, that's, that's a great question. I, I think it's a bit of both, right? I I've never, I've never experienced that type of sort of feeling, right? Like I always joke around. And I say, I'm, I'm kind of the junior volunteer. The talk is the expert, right? right. Uh, she's been doing it forever. And well, that and just means I've you're just a good husband, it. Alex. That's all that <laughs> right. That's what I'm, I'm, I think I am anyway, but um, um, yeah. So, you know, again, there, there's moments. Yeah. You, you feed off of that energy. I, absolutely. Like there's another story I, I think I might've shared with this uh, uh, with you today. Mm-hmm. We're bringing stuff across. There was a small little motel, uh that was uh, that's on the ukrainian side that we we're in and um uh, basically the next morning so you don't get a lot of sleep you come over it's like four in the morning you're getting up at seven because there's ukrainian volunteers that have arrived that they're there to pick up um you know uh, medication or whatever it is that we've brought over right um and so uh, these two uh these two asian fellas uh come up oh, yeah. Yeah, to you, right yeah, they told me this today yeah and um and I was like, you know, you just kind of see these guys and go, okay, well, I haven't seen Asian folks in, in like in inside of Ukraine. I go, and they're just kind of they're all watching us and they're coming up to me, right? And the guy hands me his phone, right? And uh, doesn't speak a word of English, Ukrainian or Russian, right? And he's got Google Translator on, and basically he's sort of he kind of point points to me and says, you know, if you can read it, right? So I'm reading it, and it just basically says, um, you know, could you guys drive us to Lviv, right? And I'm like, well, these guys are going to Lviv, right? So I said, uh, I go, sure, we can drive you guys to Lviv. I said, uh, where are you from? And sort of why you want to go to Lviv? And he writes back, I'm looking at, they go, I will never forget this, right? I'm looking at his phone and he just basically stated, he goes, we're from Taiwan and we're here to fight for Ukraine. Wow, And I was like, it's just like, I was in awe. I was, I was shocked. I was, I was like teary eyed. I don't know. It's all waves of emotions. And I, and then part of me, there's that, that, that sense of humor of mine. Right. I'm sitting there going, okay, it's a Canadian inside of Ukraine that now has to thank these guys from Taiwan. I could have something <laughs> kind of interesting <laughs> about that. That's right. right. So I said, I go, just, say you're, say, you're, you're,
0: just say you're sorry. Right. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah. Exactly. Right. The Canadian way. No. So yeah. I basically I said, guys, you know, thank you for coming, Slav Ukraini. You know, you know, thank you for coming and and helping uh, helping us fight. Just there's just something about that type of energy.
0: Were you able to find out if uh, one of the reasons why they were there is because of their own struggle for independence in Taiwan? Is that sort yeah. of the? Yeah. Is that why yeah. they were there? That's yeah, that's I pretty. That. That's pretty visceral. Like that that you know that 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 transcends. Yeah, um, you know um not nationalism because that has a whole different type of word to it now but you know what i mean that right. the, uh, sovereignty yeah. you know that
1: kind of yeah. thing yeah yeah well look that that's a that's a whole theme in itself right like there's there's um there's many uh soldiers that we've helped uh bring them from poland uh into ukraine um and just I, i'm still kind of amazed uh you know james chalice has become a good friend of mine uh Canadian yeah. vet, and, and he's uh, he's gone over to fight. He's back now. He'll be sort of speaking at the engagement with me. But, um, yeah, there's these moments like it's, again, it's this whole energy, right? I, I just get this phone call. We happen to be in Poland that, um, you know, somebody found out uh, who I was, got my phone number, and, uh, hey, can you help me get across the border? it's Not like he can't get himself across the border, right? I'm not sneaking him across or anything, it's just that <laughs> yeah. I, I can help him, right? Okay, fine, mm-hmm. right? So, um, yeah, so you know, brought him across, right? Uh, we got him some food, uh, and they were off to the train station and, um, you know, on their way. But I just I, to this day, we've we've helped uh Americans we've helped Brits uh we've helped uh, Belarusians uh Canadians right um yep. another story uh Curtis Bond great guy uh Canadian military guy and he he came over same kind of story just my phone rings i guess i got some I got a hotline published somewhere and uh <laughs> he's like hey i'm in Krakow uh, somebody said that i can call you you can help me out and uh um, I said, I go, sure. Yeah. No problem. I think one of the things I asked him, I go, do you drive stick? So we actually had him drive one of our vehicles across, which was really funny. Oh, nice. guys. But, um, but yeah, just these, and, and it's interesting because Ukrainians, um, I brought Chris into our office in Lviv or Curtis, I should say, sorry. And, uh, I remember, uh, you know, good looking guy, young guy. Right. And a lot of the females were like, like, they were just in awe. They're like, hold on a sec. He's Canadian. And he's come here to fight for us. Like, they were just like, my God, right? Can I touch him? You know, it's like, yeah. um, you know, uh, good for Curtis. A lot of good looking women in that office. But anyway, um, <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was just, but there's so many stories like that. Like this, this there, there's also stories, and I haven't bumped into this, but James and, and, and the guys that I know have, where mm-hmm. it's just, Yahoo's coming over right with either no military experience or maybe some but their motivation seems a little yeah yeah they want to be heroes and they want to do and i don't know what they've got inside their heads but many of those guys you know once they got a taste of the front through what was going on um i heard yeah they they just got up and left right um james to me if 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 you read up on him and you take a look at what he's done he's a true hero he's i watched he's an amazing guy interview with uh, the
0: national post that you sent today um and i was super impressed with uh first of all with how authentic he was like, i wasn't putting on any fronts with that interview no, at all he no, like, it was he was I... very straight up I, I i thought it was really telling um when um uh the name of the journalist who i know um escapes me right now but i i thought it was really telling when when he was asked about if if the canadian government was doing enough and and james was listing the equipment that was being sent over and that you know half the shit was broken you know um and there's lavs that are sitting around in in bases in canada that are not being shipped and you know and 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 then and listening to you you're when you were mentioning some of the equipment that you were sending over it was uh some of those, some of those pieces of equipment were the same pieces of equipment that James was saying the, that Canada was sending as as a government that wasn't working. Like, like you were, you were sort of partially making up for that shortfall. Uh,
1: yeah, you you could say that. And him and I had that chat, right? Like, he's he, what he saw is the truth, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I I try to be somewhat level headed and, and pragmatic. You know, I said to James at the time, I said, okay, you know, you've got. You know a certain sampling of what canada has done with what you've seen right there's hundreds of battalions right mm-hmm. um you know there's so many men at the front um canada has done good uh with a lot of weaponry there's something else i can send you where uh, a lot of the weapons took out uh, many of the tanks that were basically surrounding kiev right um so but yeah well that's that's true uh they may have sent uh, some bad some bad stuff right um can you talk about the
0: drones because that blew my mind today um especially the thing with the 3d printer i don't want to spoil the because i don't want to get anything wrong but when you told me that it was the first time i had ever heard that and it was the first time that i had ever uh first of all it was the first time that i had discovered that when when, when we uh when you're talking about drones we're not talking about the big planes that have missiles we're talking about the little surveillance drones and, and talk about how they were outfitted this is crazy to me and in, in in such an innovative and good
1: way but yeah but please, please. so again I, I was also amazed when I when I found out sort of the process and, and what they were doing with this right so what I'm talking about are are primarily consumer drones right or you could even mm-hmm. sort of you know the're really expensive ones Um are more used in industry, right? In movies um, and things like that. Yeah. yeah, and you start getting into the really pricey ones, and then it kind of goes into sort of actual military uh, type of hardware, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, the the consumer drones, um, what they've devised, uh, uh, you know, a lot of these Ukrainian battalions, um, is basically a mechanism where you've got a consumer drone, and you've basically uh, put this cradle underneath it, And basically, it depends on the size of the drone, but let's talk about sort of one, one, you know, bomb. Uh, So basically, you've got this cradle where you can basically hold on to a grenade, you can fly it to a particular location, and then at the right time, because visually you're seeing what's going on, uh, you can then open and it drops, right? That is crazy. Uh, So that's the mechanism. So you could you Mm -hmm. could easily find that online and I I can send you something on that. But um, yeah, the the other part of that story, which is really interesting, right? Um, There's a there's a huge stockpile of old Soviet weapons inside of Ukraine and, you know, uh, armaments like grenades and just old stuff right so it's pretty ingenious because what they've done is they've taken these old uh, grenades bombs uh, my expert in this uh but yeah. what they've done is they've 3d printed because a grenade stays round right so when you drop it yeah. you know you know you want to kind of gu- you know you want to kind of guide it right as it's falling right so they've yeah. 3d printed fins on the back of it and attached it to these grenades that so basically crazy. they can just they can drop it a lot of video where you see sort of underneath the drone, the thing kind of wiggling, and then they let it go and it just, and it just falls. Right? So does
0: it pull the pin? Does gravity pull the pin? Like how does that work?
1: It, it, the mechanism pulls the pin. Yeah. Okay. So it depends on the type of armament. There's, there's larger kind of systems where basically it just, once it hits that kind of detonates. Right. So right. Um, very inventive, uh, very creative. Um, yeah. Systems that they put together.
0: So what does the, uh, future, the, the, the short-term future look like for you, uh, and your wife and your organization? Are you just still, you know, plowing forward and, and trying to raise money and trying to, to send as much equipment over as you can still and medical supplies, I believe as well. Is that, is that just, you're just, you're just in the, you know, you're, you're sort of in the influx of all that right now. And that's, that's really not going to stop until the war stops. Is that the idea?
1: Yeah, that, that's, that's a great question, right? What's the short term? Um, you know, the short term is, um, you know, yes, we're, we continue to, uh, to you know, support. Um, you know, we continue to get, we just we just can't cover uh, the, uh, the requirements uh, right now that, that we've gotten from people, from battalions and so forth, right? right. Um, so, you know, there's that moment where I, I guess if you don't want to do it anymore, there's got to be sort of a hard stop. Right. Um, but that's not in the cards for us right now. Right. Um, well, that said, we need a bit of a breather because we haven't uh, sort of taken any time off. It's just been go, go, go. So it's sort of the focus on the daytime job as well as the volunteering. Uh, so that's um, um, yeah, it, it uh, it's kind of, you know, takes a toll at some if point. You, if you play your cards right, it sounds like
0: you could become like the world's nicest arms dealer, you know, like that might be a... <laughs> another
1: hollywood Maybe. movie yeah, yeah it, nice might stars it might not sell but yeah
0: and also uh you read putin's eyes not in the same way that george bush did
1: do you this remember that I did. he said i looked I into his
0: soul i looked into his eyes and i saw his soul right and he was fine with it somehow <laughs>
1: you know well you know you got to have a certain level of iq i guess to sense what's
0: inside someone's soul (laughs) that's fair enough that's fair enough um so listen i i I, before we go i i wanted i just want to let everyone know that you've been on the front lines before and i'm going to play a clip here and uh and and we're gonna we're gonna watch you uh you know in action and this must have been really hard There he is. This is the Ukrainian voice, right? The voice?
1: Yeah, the, the voice from Ukraine, Ukraine, yeah. It's one of those fun yeah. facts. Yeah. Sam, do you want to plug on Toronto? Yeah, yeah, I saw that. Okay, here we go. Deny? Was that the name of the band that you played in? Yeah deny sorry i just i just saw it i saw I, i'm surprised i'm surprised you didn't make any uh, accordion jokes
0: i i kind of um someone sent me uh like about three months ago all these hip-hop beats that were sampling accordions accordion. it was so fucking dope it was amazing i saw so now i don't think i can every time i see an accordion now i think of two, one of two things i either think of those hip-hop beats or weird Al both pretty dope right like i can't your balance yeah
1: yeah i i won't uh well actually let me just fast forward it to like where you actually sing because you're a great singer yeah well thank you
0: sorry i have to pause for a second because uh this is the funniest comment i've seen in a long time
1: <laughs> you a <laughs> <ride>.
0: <laughs> but but this is it's not even for you it's for someone else in the chat but but it would have been great for you as well because you're so eclectic <laughs> right like
1: <laughs> yeah, can I answer other. that question right so yeah Look at them. they love you He's like, he's a foreigner, the guy says. Is that what he said?
0: Now, listen, I don't want to see you lose, so I'm going to stop it there. But do you want me to continue?
1: no, it's it's all good. There was a bit of a controversy yeah. with the with the husband and wife team there, and oh, was this it? was hilarious. He was going to push. Is it, it on this clip? Yeah, you might see it, but he was going to push it, and she held his arm back right so online when the video was shown oh my you would lie it was all in ukrainian people just slamming her calling her every <laughs> word in the book it was a poor
0: woman right? i won't put her through any more uh any more trauma <laughs> um are you ukrainian famous is that like are you domestic are you a, like a famous person in in ukraine
1: no no absolutely
0: no? not. oh okay because no, no, your no, band did pretty well it seemed like you um you,
1: the band yeah the band's very well known in the ukrainian diaspora uh in mm-hmm. canada united states i think i think i, are I you like the tragically up. hip of ukraine is that kind of the thing <laughs> yeah, like not somebody, the music
0: yeah. is the same but you know you go to the united states and ask 100 people who the tragically hip are
1: maybe one or two might know who you're talking about
0: but in, right you know right like, um
1: the, you, look in in the centers where there's a lot of ukrainians being you know toronto calgary edmonton montreal uh everybody yeah people know who the, who dunai is we've been around since i was like 16 years old right uh so i think we've done a thousand gigs from last time i counted whether it's weddings or anniversaries or festivals or whatever right so uh i'm still writing still writing music and uh, just kind of waiting waiting to kind of settle down a little bit with time and then kind of watch something well listen i I, i'm so happy
0: that uh, i was able to talk to you today and invite you on um we're 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 gonna wrap now but I would like you to come back because I think that um, we we could talk a lot more. I, I enjoyed the parts of the, I enjoyed the whole conversation, but I, I was really impressed with uh, the fact that we could get sidetracked a little bit into the politics. And it was, it made for interesting conversation. Like the, the, that's something that I always enjoy because a, I, I enjoy talking about politics, but I think that there are so many uh, offshoots and and tributaries uh to this story these like ancillary important details mm-hmm. about the political side of all this whether it's nato or russia propaganda or whatever and uh, you know and and i think that we we can't lose sight of we we should never lose sight of how politics poisons everything but we should also be able to talk about it i think so i really appreciate you coming and um, again, the event that you're speaking at happens uh, on October 14th. So that's on Friday at 6 p.m. The yep. address is 145 Evans Avenue in Etobicoke. It's called The Frontline Narratives See the War in Ukraine through the Eyes of the Frontline. And it's with James Chalice, who's a Canadian soldier that fought in Ukraine from March to September of this year, and yourself, Alex Fasiak. Is that right?
1: Spot on. Excellent.
0: Yeah. Everybody's welcome.
1: Uh, you're going to hear more of, uh, you know, sort of what I took, uh, everybody through on, on this, uh, video call and, uh, just a lot of interesting stories and there's, you know, some interesting, very interesting video and, uh, and photographs and stuff like that. So.
0: Yeah. Well, I appreciate your time, sir. Thank you so much for joining us today on black Bulb.
1: Not No problem, James. Thanks for having me. Appreciate we'll it. Talk Thank, you. Thank
0: you so much. Right. Take- Alex Fassiak. I-, I love it that I can say that name. It's, uh, it makes me feel proud. Um, No, big, big thanks to Alex for, for coming. That was a completely unexpected uh, guest that I would have today. I thought I was just going to do Peter Tatchell today, but uh, I really enjoyed that. I hope you guys did too. Uh, today's Wednesday. Tomorrow, I have M. Greiner. She's a singer. She is an author. The Healing Power of Singing is her book. Uh, she toured with David Bowie. Uh, and so that's dope as hell. And then on Friday, Rob Kiblikin and I are going to be doing heinous cases, and we are going to be talking about the Paul Bernardo case. But uh, no, no, but. And thank you for jo- thank you for joining us. Listen, everybody in the chat, again, there's something wrong with my chat overlay. I always only see Jen and DeCosta now. I think Ria is there. Uh, Mel, I think I see you there. And that is about it. Uh, but I appreciate you guys. Thank you so much. And we will see you next time on Blackball.
1: black boy black boy
0: black black black, black